Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. Well, it was a slow news week. Well, weekend, I guess, because a lot of people drop some big news on the weekends. But of course, Elon Musk had to stir the pot. He set up a new daily Twitter post reading limit. And basically, let's talk about what this means for crypto, because a lot of crypto companies have built their brand on crypto Twitter, same with NFTs. So apparently, Twitter is temporarily limiting the number of tweets users can read per day, separate limits for Twitter Blue subscribers and unpaid users. So basically, Elon Musk wants you to buy a product or a service. Verified accounts limited to reading 10,000 per day. Unverified accounts will have access to 1,000 per day. Initially set stricter limits, but changed within hours of announcing the move. It was so funny because if you were watching him live tweet this over the weekend, he said, okay, we're giving X. And then he said, okay, we're going to give X times two and then X times three. So it kept getting bigger and bigger. But it also looked like it appears that he meant the scrapping of large amounts of data used by AI companies to train language models, which power chatbots like ChatGPT and Google's Bard. If you don't know what data scrapping is, it's the pulling of information from the internet. And I don't know how I feel about this. I think it's a little bit ridiculous because it's really not helping with the bot problem. But I guess there was rumors about other things that were kind of happening. Jen, do you want to take over here? Yeah, we've seen Elon do this before, right? Announce a big change and then amend that change and then amend it again on the fly and then say it's temporary. And so who knows what's going to happen next, given the backlash that's happened. But Wendy, to your point, the data scraping seems to be the issue at the center of this. You know, a lot of big brands, advertisers, publishers use data scraping to measure sentiment, to see what people are saying about stories, about products. And so this is going to be, this is going to be a big hit on a lot of business, both I think within the crypto sector and outside of the crypto sector. What's interesting to me is Elon is the one who's out here announcing this. We haven't really heard from Twitter's new CEO, Linda Yaccarino. I I just 
I would love to hear from her and find out how this how this particular change and other changes at Twitter are laddering up to the new strategy under her uh, leadership. I think it's really interesting that she's come into the new role and we haven't really heard from her yet. Ben, what do you what do you make of everything that's happening? Yeah, I mean, Twitter's a really important public square for crypto, long has been. And I think Elon's also been a kind of controversial figure for crypto. On the one hand, he's seen as a champion of projects like Dogecoin. On the other hand, he's a kind of a figure of uh, too much control. And this is an example of a Web2 medium Twitter um, not really playing by the rules of, of Web3, which is supposed to be more democratic, more pluralistic. And I think there's echoes here of what happened with Reddit the other day, where they wanted to kind of make restrictions on their use of their AI and people backlashed against that. Uh, and it's sort of a similar story here where you know, this kind of Web2 model that's supposed to be free um, but turns out not to be free when people weaponize it for, you know, AI purposes or API purposes. So uh, I see kind of echoes of that. I put out a tweet about this um, over the weekend because I think it's just kind of ridiculous. Like TikTok pushes ads like light ads. YouTube pushes light ads. Um, if you pay for YouTube premium, you see no ads. Facebook pushes ads like all these companies push ads. So I'm just not really understanding his angle. I kind of I mean, I get the the abuse of the of AI and all of that type of stuff. But really, at the same time, it's been a problem on the platform for a long time, especially when people use bots. So I'm not exactly sure what his angle is here. I feel like he kind of is not necessarily cut out to run a social media platform. I love that we're more free on the platform. I love that a lot of things have been exposed regarding speech and liberty. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think Elon's cut out for it. And the fact that we're not hearing from the current or new CEO says a lot to me because Elon was so outgoing. He was so forward. And I feel like this person that's now taken over, she's probably going to embody what corporate America does and just sits back and makes decisions and not practice any type of good communication. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting. I hope that I'm wrong, but I just don't see it playing out that way. Do we think that people will now go to alternatives like Blue Sky? I mean, there was some stories over the weekend about that. I finally got my Blue Sky invite the other day. And Ben, thank you for reminding me because I forgot to accept it. So I'm going to go and do that. Ben, uh, to the sentiment conversation, I saw a lot of tweets over the weekend about people saying like, where are we going to go next? Like, is it TikTok? Is it Instagram? I don't know if it's either of those platforms, but at least on my feed, there's a lot of people, you know, looking for alternatives. Although my own opinion is that people aren't really going to go anywhere. They're just going to continue to complain and accept defeat. What do you think, Ben? I think it's kind of Twitter or nothing. I mean, the problem is that, you know, why would you go to a platform where other people are not? So people are still on Twitter, still where the conversation is. So I guess we just have to complain and bear it. Wendy, we need to get you in on this. Are you, what do you, I know you have your big, your fans on TikTok. I mean, people, TikTok has a lot more users than I want to say are active users than I think any other social media platform. People have been all over TikTok for a very long time. Um, I've actually advised multiple companies that I've consulted with start a TikTok. The startup cost to market there is very affordable, especially when everybody was going viral, getting lots of views. Most of the companies didn't do that. And now they want to merge over to TikTok. And uh, it's not necessarily that it's too late, but the algorithm, there's a lot more users there. Um, platforms a lot harder to go viral on. So I think that, um, you know, there's different audiences on different of uh, the social media platforms. And we'll just kind of have to wait it out and see what happens. I mean, at this point, we, you know, there's still rumors that TikTok could potentially get banned due to the Restrict Act. So if that, we'll kind of have to wait and see how that plays out. 
Um, I don't know. I'm just, I haven't seen the rate limit thing been inactive, but it wasn't really clear that like, if you're scrolling your feed, does that count as tweets being read? Or if you're looking at your mentions, does that count as tweets being read? It wasn't really like communicated well. So I'm still kind of confused if it's even happening. And I kind of feel like because of all the backlash, Elon's going to be like, oh, we're not going to do this. (laughs) I hope so. Wednesday's top story. Valkyrie Digital Assets has refiled an application for a spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. Of course, they already have a futures Bitcoin exchange-traded fund on the NASDAQ. So this follows up on top of that one. They've refiled using the Coinbase surveillance agreement that was first noted or at least whispered with BlackRock. The SEC went back to all these people who had filed ETFs and said, we need you to name whoever is in the surveillance agreement. So now all those refilings have begun with Valkyrie being one of those. Of course, the market is turning on a lot of this news. Bitcoin peaked over $31,000 over the weekend, and it's been pretty strong in headwaves that, hey, there might be a spot ETF in the future for Bitcoin. Wendy, I'll throw it over to you for your take. I feel like BlackRock was playing 4D chess with the entire market because wasn't BlackRock the first one to kind of kick this trend off when it came to filing for Bitcoin spot ETFs? And they, you know, the breaking news was that the BlackRock Bitcoin spot ETF was rejected when in fact it wasn't rejected. It just needed to be modified. But I feel like they purposely left that area blank for the SSA for their central intermediary. And they kind of needed to wait for somebody to clap back. And then everybody else kind of followed suit. So I think it's very interesting that they named Coinbase, um, considering that Coinbase is currently going head to head with the SEC. And again, at the end of the day, I'm not a big fan of a Bitcoin ETF because I feel like it's going to continue to make Americans more lazy and we're not going to safely custody or even need to learn how to safely custody our Bitcoin. That's another argument. Um, But at the same time, I also think that um, it's very interesting that they picked Coinbase considering all of the drama that's happening. And I'm going to I'm really here for the tea. This is probably the best novella I have ever seen recently. It kind of is a novella, Wendy. Um, So Coinbase being named in this, I think, was a surprise to everyone, given that the SEC came after um, Coinbase in their lawsuit. But they're being named as the surveillance sharing partner in, I believe, all of the ETFs that refiled, right? So BlackRock refiled, listing Coinbase as the partner. A few others followed suit. I believe almost all of those on that graphic that we see on um, the screen there. But according to BlackRock's filing that came in just a few days ago, Coinbase has represented 56 per cent of the dollar to Bitcoin trading on US-based platforms. And that's why BlackRock chose. I feel like BlackRock is leading the way. I feel like it... And this is just a feeling. I have no information. It feels like BlackRock must have some information. uh, And that's why they issued this filing. And then it feels like everyone is just following what they do. And all the analysts in the market are, are saying that they are hopeful that this ETF comes to fruition. Of course, like Will mentioned, Bitcoin is holding above $30,000. I have to mention Canada has had an ETF for a very, very long time. And so all of this excitement, I don't know, Will, is it going to fizzle away once this ETF gets approved if and when it does? Yeah, maybe. I mean, the one thing I want to go back to is talking about like, does BlackRock have information that other people don't? And I actually sort of want to push back on that because I I don't think they do have more information than others. Like there's a lot of people out there who've been filing these ETFs for years, but they've been going up against an SEC that didn't want to see this product go through. What BlackRock does have is political edge, right? They have like the clout, they have the size, and they have the politicians in a lot of ways. A lot of people use BlackRock. BlackRock is one of the largest issuers, if not the largest issuer of ETFs. 
And so for them to look at this market and say like, you know, we want an ETF probably means that there's probably been the ability to have an ETF in this market for a while. Coinbase has been around for quite a while. It's been a public company for over two years now. It made sense for BlackRock to step in when the timing was right for the product, not necessarily just because they have more information than other people. And the surveillance sharing agreement, that maybe was like an edge that other people didn't have. But at the same time, those things are not uncommon either. And I'm frankly a little confused why people didn't come up with that earlier if that's all they really needed was some sort of surveillance agreement on market manipulation. If you go back to like the earlier ETFs, that's always been the critique is that the Bitcoin market can easily be manipulated. But if you have this agreement, maybe there's a way around it. Wendy? But like, this is the thing though, like everything is so heavily manipulated, especially traditional finance and all the insider information that goes along. And I guess that it's like the SSA is like, this public facade that they have to do as lawmakers or public servants, but isn't it kind of silly? And I feel like well, the reason why there wasn't uh, um, an SSA listed in the first place is because the SEC has literally gone head to head with every single crypto exchange in America for one reason or the another. And the lawsuits are just pretty hilarious and frivolous at this time. But I, I think that that's why they didn't list it initially is they probably didn't want, I don't know, I probably, I feel like they were waiting for the SEC to respond and that's probably the, an internal conversation that went down, in my personal opinion. I, I just want to point out quickly that I, in previous filings, Will, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's taken the SEC much longer to respond with feedback here. We had BlackRock file. We had a few other firms file. The SEC came back, said this is inadequate, and they had the chance to make those amendments and file again. I don't feel like we've seen the SEC respond so quickly in the past. No, I think you're right there. Uh, I think it sort of depends on the sort of filing that were, were being done. This one, it was like sort of a quick note being like, hey, you guys need to share the uh, the partner with this surveillance agreement. And so they were able to refile pretty quickly. But overall, the SEC has taken forever to get back on these things, which has delayed any sort of push with an ETF, right? If you put an ETF into the market and then you have to wait forever for the SEC to get back to you, well, basically just spending millions of dollars on lawyer fees and not having any revenue in return. Thursday's top story. We got a lot in this story from the New York Times talking about Tom Brady's relationship with flamed out and failed exchange FTX, which is currently going through chapter 11 proceedings with its former CEO now going through alleged criminal fraud proceedings. This article basically details Tom Brady's time with FTX from the first inquiries of FTX to work with Tom Brady back in 2020 and 2021, all the way through the fateful days and the collapse of FTX back in November. A lot of great nuggets in the story if you're a fan of Tom Brady or just a fan of general intrigue. The most pressing, of course, that we have to get to is the revelation about Taylor Swift, which was incorporated at the very bottom of this piece. I think it should have been at the very top because it was new information. I agree. But essentially, it stated that, no, Taylor Swift did not end this deal with FTX and Sam Bankman fried It was the other way around. SBF left the deal lurking his inbox for over three weeks before he decided to not sign the $100 million sponsorship endorsement with Team Swifty. So a little bit of a change from the last story we had on this whole topic. Jen, any reactions there? Well, first of all, I also thought Taylor Swift should have been at the top. Second, we didn't have FTX in Canada. And the Eras Tour has also not announced any Canadian dates. And so like, am I really the person who should be speaking about this? I thought it was interesting that we have that class action lawsuit uh, lawyer, his name escapes me right now, he was on the hash before, who said Taylor Swift was the only celebrity who actually did her due diligence, who actually looked into what was going on and said, mm, maybe this is a security. And so I'm not going to enter into this deal. Now we have inside sources 
as reported by the New York Times, who say, actually, Taylor's team signed that deal and it was left in Sam Bankman-Fried's inbox. I wonder if, you know, this was the tipping point for him. He said, we've signed all of these sponsorship deals with all these huge (laughs) celebrities. We've put our name on stadiums. Can we actually afford to give Taylor Swift $100 million? I would have loved to see the terms of that deal to see how much of it was going to be in FTT tokens. The piece also talks about how Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen were getting paid in, um, in tokens. And so just, you know, a little, a little walk down memory lane for me here. The interesting thing that I thought came out in this article was it's kind of like the underlying tone of this being like a bad industry and not just a bad player and bad product. They talked about how Tom Brady launched his autograph platform and now the platform is not seeing as many users. Revenue is down. They had to do layoffs. That is consistent across the space and also consistent across the tech space in general. And I wish that that would have been pointed out. But I'm sure the New York Times has a lot of problems with what I say, too. Wendy? First off, I have to say... Shakira's breakup song was so much better than Taylor Swift's. I thought Taylor Swift's was absolutely terrible. <laughs> Team Shakira all the way. I'm and not again, here to pit women against each other. I love them both, Wendy. I'm, I'm just sorry, saying. Man. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I just Shakira gotta say. And Taylor Swift. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just, you know, I just, I, I prefer um, stuff in Spanish because it's so much more dramatic. It's got so much more soul. <laughs> but anyways, I digress. I digress. This is a very interesting story. And of course, that key piece of information of Taylor Swift's team actually signing the deal is going to be at the bottom because that would contradict everything that mainstream media has said. And mainstream media does not like to be wrong. I feel like in the case with SBF, I know the criminal and the fraud and all of those different cases because there's multiple of them, we're going to be seeing a lot more information be revealed. And I think that it's going to be very interesting to, to catch all of these things that mainstream media has been obviously hiding or suppressing. And we've seen that in this article. And again, when there is a bad actor in any industry, there's a bad actor. Does it make the industry bad? Well, except banking. We know that the banking industry is inherently bad all the way around. Shout out to JP Morgan and all of the slap on the wrist fines that they pay. Sam, did you have a take on this? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. For one thing, I, I think there's been a lot of talk about celebrities no longer wanting to endorse crypto companies moving forward. And I think a lot of celebrities are going to stop maybe the Tom Brady's of the world. And, you know, we're probably not going to see Tom Hanks, who really cares about his brand you know, um, doing anything for, you know, the future FTXs, whatever those are, hopefully they don't exist, or even something like a Coinbase, which is much more run of the mill. But I, I do think that we forget that the public and a lot of these celebrities and their teams have pretty short attention sp- or um, memories when it comes to the sorts of products that, um, you know, people are willing to advertise. So I, I mean, we were talking before the show, basically, about how the Kardashians are still, you know, shilling all of these different supplements and stuff. And they're not the only ones who kind of don't really care about who they're associated with as long as the money is there. So I don't think that this entire industry of advertising for crypto is going to disappear in the future. But one other thing that I just is a completely unrelated thing that this brought to mind for me is just the fact that Terra, the very collapsed crypto stable coin um, thing from yesteryear, it feels like so long ago now, is still a sponsor for the Washington Nationals because they signed a five-year deal at, I think, like $40 million. And there's some behind-the-scenes drama there about like the Nationals not wanting to give that money back. But there is some irony around, like, we pick who we want to be angry at. So, you know, Larry David is getting sued for advertising this thing that nobody knew really was a scam through and through when he was doing it. But also, we're not yelling at the Nationals for still calling their, you know, box the Terra box. Anyway, I just think that there's some, some irony there. But if I were a celebrity, I probably wouldn't 
frankly, you know, do what Tom Brady's doing. You are a celebrity. You're on the hash. Yeah, you're on the oh, hash. We talked about. Oh, you won't see me shilling any crypto companies. Um, <laughs> well, but, I think anyway. this is the thing. I feel like celebrities are going to come back. There's a bear market. We've seen these things happen time and time again. The celebrities are going to come back. People like money. Celebrities get a lot of endorsements, especially when we're talking about musicians. Musicians really don't get paid a lot. Um, but they make a lot in endorsements and they make a lot in ads and the same with influencers and the same. It's just kind of how marketing is shifting. So I feel like we will see celebrities come back in, especially big celebrities. I do think that the industry will get more refined as time goes on, hopefully in the U.S. It depends who we get in as our next president. So, you know, we just need some kind of simple guidelines like force exchanges to have res to set funds aside. You know, we need to change the accredited investor law. We need to restructure the SEC. And if America could do that, we'll be okay. Unfortunately, it'll probably take about 10 years before we see any type of progress here while Southeast Asia continues to flourish. The celebrities haven't completely left, though. Like, if we just look oh at consensus alone, William Shatner was there shilling his NFT. I spoke to Dre from Cool and Dre, who said, like, the, the music industry is still completely on board with NFTs. In his, That's what he said on the panel. And so I think mm -hmm. the celebrities are still around. It's just what we're seeing is a result of the entire industry just being... <laughs> Down. Although we're not that, we're doing, we're doing we're a doing little bit good. better now. Also, nobody's well, talking about the Taylor yeah. Swift deal was a yeah. hundred million dollars. Like, can you really be that mad at her for for you know being angry when they? Of course, we have to blame everybody else for for our actions. We can't take full responsibility, even though we're supposed to be operating in a true decentralized economy. Come on now, guys. <laughs> Friday's top story. We talk about Gemini, which this story has been going on for a while. We have no resolution, but we do have some more antics. And that is that Gemini is going to sue Genesis in court. It's going to sue DCG founder Barry Silbert for alleging fraud. They, of course, owed $1.2 billion for the fallout after Genesis went into Chapter 11 filings. This all stemmed back from the collapse of Three Arrows Capital, a huge hedge fund that went under about a year ago, this time last year. Trios Capital had a lot of money out on loan from uh, Genesis, and that went up the stack to DCG, which owns Genesis. Over the last nine plus months, we've seen Genesis, DCG, and uh, Barry Silver go back and forth with tweets, letters, comments. It's kind of been pretty messy, to be honest. But at the end of the day, Genesis earned customers are owed a lot of money and they want it back. And they think that Barry Silbert is the person who needs to pay them. Just of course, a disclosure, Coindesk is owned by DCG. Jen, I'll throw this one to you. You've been in the hot seat covering this on First Mover. What's been your general takeaway from this whole saga? This is obviously a, uh, a new level of escalation. Yeah, well, I think this is just another story that highlights the inter mingledness that kind of led to this contagion and domino effect that we're dealing with now. I want to point to one of the tweets in the thread by Cameron Winklevoss. He says, from the beginning, Genesis acted in concert with defendants and with defendants' active support and encouragement, induced the Gemini earned lenders to lend by touting Genesis's purportedly robust risk management practices and a supposedly thorough vetting process of the counterparties to which it relent the assets. The filing said, then he says, those were lies. I think these are really big allegations to be making. And it's interesting that we're seeing this play out on Twitter. Well, like you said, it's been kind of a messy back and forth on Twitter with comments in different filings. And I think that this is maybe a decent strategy to show Gemini earned customers that something is being done. And the Winklevoss twins are taking this very seriously. They are holding the people who they think 
should be held accountable to the utmost accountability. And they are broadcasting in their own words along the way. For me, that's like the really interesting part to follow with this story, given, you know, all of the lawsuits and bankruptcies we have. This is what stands out in this one. I think I saw your hand go back up, Will. Yes, this has been continuing forever. There's a lot of different entities involved here. It's been very messy. I mean, just think of the Gemini side, right? Everyone who was involved with Gemini was uh, probably an earned customer here that was chasing that 7.6% yield. And when that collapsed with the fall of 3AC, all those funds became stuck within this whole program. They're trying to get their money back out. So there is thousands of entities involved with this. I think Gemini Arm was one of the largest retail products out there. And at the same time, there was that lawsuit with the SEC, uh, I think back in January or so, or February, with the SEC saying that the program that Gemini and Genesis were running together looked like a security. I don't know where that one ended up. I haven't seen any updates recently, but it just goes to the point, like a lot of these products, there's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of, uh, there's no clarity on the situation at all, even on the, the legal side. Danny? To me, it seems like the base of these allegations stem from the risk management department, right? Because it's Gemini, right? Yeah, I get the cheese mixed up. But Gemini is saying that Genesis induced customers to put money in by having or purported to have a very robust risk management department that really didn't follow through because it didn't catch 3AC. Now, you know, in crypto, it's sort of become a meme, right? When these companies blow up, people buy the t-shirt that says, insert company name here, risk management department, FTX risk management, Genesis risk management, because we always joke, these risk management departments just aren't up to snuff. So what I'm excited for in this suit, if it moves forward, is the discovery process, because then we might get a chance to better understand how Genesis's risk management department actually operated, because that would be at the key of these fraud allegations if it was fraudulent in presenting itself as robust and doing its job, or really if it just didn't have the controls that it should have. So that is the big tell that I'm looking toward in this case, even though that's probably months, maybe even years down the line. Yeah, DCG tweeted just as we started the show that the Gemini lawsuit is a publicity stunt. It says that it is blameless and defamatory. It's, it's quite a long tweet, so you can go and read it. I think that this kind of comes back to the fact that it's all being broadcast on Twitter. I think reading like this is a publicity stunt, it's easy to draw that parallel. But at the same time, Danny, I agree with you. I look forward to seeing the discovery and seeing some of the evidence behind the claims that are being made here. Well, last thoughts? It's going to drag on for a while. If you are sitting in Gemini Earn account, I guess you are on the side of the Winklevoss twins, but maybe not. I think the whole industry is sort of watching this one and hoping that there's a peaceful resolution. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.